Hey y'all, welcome back. We're going to continue on through the book of 1 Samuel with chapter 21. And here we have David is running from Saul who is trying to murder him. So it's rightfully so that he's running. In verse 1, David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone? He asked. Why is no one with you? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now, what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. So he is hungry. He's been on the run and he is starving. He's empty. And you can't lead on an empty stomach. So he needs some feelings, some replenishment and some nourishment. In verse 4. We don't have any regular bread, the priest replied, but there is the holy bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. Don't worry, David replied. I never allow my men to be with women when we are on a campaign, and since they stay clean even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? Since there is no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence. That was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had just been replaced that day with fresh bread. So this bread is meant for the priests. It's the holy bread, the bread of the presence. It's only for the priests. But the transcendent situation that they're in overtakes the law. Mercy overcomes the law. David is starving and malnourished and he needs nourishment. So the priest goes ahead and gives him this bread. And ritual and tradition is not to be above human needs. Our human needs come first. And Jesus did this time and time again when he came to earth. He met human needs regardless of tradition or religious ceremonies or rules or religious rules. And that's what made the religious leader so angry because he didn't follow their rules. But human necessity and human need comes first in Jesus was compassionate and merciful, and he met the needs of the people that came across his path. And that's what this priest is doing right now for David. He's meeting a need. He is hungry. He is malnourished, and he needs nourishment so he can continue on his journey. In verse 7, Now Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. David asked, asked Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. I only have the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, the priest replied. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. There is nothing like it, David replied. Give it to me. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. Now Gath is where he defeated Goliath. Goliath was from Gath, or that's where Goliath was from. So surely they would recognize Goliath's sword in verse 11. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David the king of the land? They asked. Isn't he the one the people honor with dances, singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, King Achish said to his men, Must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? 
So in his fear of what's potentially going to happen, he acts like a crazy person. And if you go to Psalm 34 and Psalm 56, you'll see that David was praying to God this whole time and that God was saving him and God was protecting him and God was leading him and guiding him. And God was with him in these moments and he was faithful to God. He was, his heart was for God. And, um, the only keepsakes, he gives them the sword. The only keepsakes that we should be trying to keep is is what we're storing up in, in heaven, what our treasures in heaven are. Everything that's on this earth is going to be disappearing. It's going to be gone. It's temporary. All the things around us, all the, the things that we think are so precious and treasures, they're going to disappear. They're temporary. What really matters is what we're storing up in heaven, the kindness we show to other people the people that we help with food and clothing and warmth and kindness and love and showing the mercy and compassion and grace of Jesus to the people around us and being kind to people, even if they're different from us, even if they don't think like us or agree with us, it doesn't matter. We're still supposed to love like Jesus, regardless of anything. So then we continue on in chapter 22. He's still on the run. So they send him away because they think he's a man-man. And in verse 1 of chapter 22, it says, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. So all his all his family joined him there. And his family were against him. Even Eliab was there. He was the one who called him evil and questioned his integrity when he was defeating Goliath in the Philistine war. And he is there. He's changed his mind. He's changed his ways. He's come around. He's come to, to join David in surrender to God and follow God through David's lead and his actions and his character win them over. And I know we have loved ones that we're waiting for, for them to come back to God and just keep our character, watch our actions, stay right before the God, before our God. And they see they see the changes in our lives and the time came and after some time they came around and so will our loved ones. We just have to stand in faith that they will. They will see the changes and the positive fruits of our lives and they'll want to join in on that too. In verse 2, then the others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So now there's about 400 people that have joined David and entrusted themselves into David's care. And these are distressed debtors who are discontent with Saul's government and Saul's leading. And they're the outcasts. And David takes them in just like Jesus. When he was on earth, he reaches out and took in and accepted and loved the outcasts. We are in Jesus 400. We are the outcasts. And Jesus takes us in and he loves us and he forgives us and he restores blessing and and redemption and restoration in our lives. In verse 3, later David went to Mizpah in Moab where he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. I remember Ruth was from Moab and she was David's great-great-grandmother. And he makes sure his parents are safe. He takes care of his household. He takes care of his kin and he makes sure they're safe and in a protected place before he moves on. And in verse five, it continues. One day, the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Harath. 
So here we have a prophet Gad that is speaking into David and leading him and guiding him. Saul had Samuel, but he disobeyed what Samuel directed and he wouldn't listen and heed the voice of God. But David has Gad and Gad spoke into his life. Saul didn't have this because he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't receive it. And when people come and speak into our lives, we have to be ready and open to pray and compare it to scripture, make sure it lines up and receive the words that God gives us and the help and direction from other people. In verse 6, the news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At this time, the king was sitting beneath a tamarisk tree on a hill at Gibeah, holding his spear and surrounded by his officers. This seems appropriate. He seems like he's always sitting by trees and holding spears. In verse 7, listen here, you men of Benjamin, Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news. Has that son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it. My own son encouraged him to kill me as he was trying, as he is trying to do this very day. So we know that's a lie. David is not trying to kill Saul. He has no vendetta against Saul. He was actually working for Saul before Saul started trying to kill him. And Saul is worried that that people in the city of Nab are being loyal to David and not him. That their loyalty is with David rather than him. He's always worried about people and what the people think rather than what God thinks. And we'll continue in verse 9. Then Doag the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest Ahimelech, son of Ehutub. Ahimelech consulted the Lord for him. We don't know that. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So he's updating Saul, and we know that David is anointed as king, but he is being persecuted, and he has not taken his kingship yet. Saul is sitting on the throne that is technically David's. Just like Jesus is our king, our amazing king, our eternal king, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is our king. He's the king of this world. But he's not sitting on the throne of this world quite yet. Satan is. He's on the throne, and he persecutes us. Because he is so angry that, that God wins in the end. Just like Saul is on David's throne, Satan is on the throne of our world right now instead of Jesus. But that is temporary. We know that God wins. That is our hope and our joy in the end. That We know that we are on the winning team when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and take God's side. And we know and can stand firm that we have the victory. In verse 11, King Saul immediately sent for Ahimelech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Ahitub. Why doesn't he ever call people by their names, by the way? he's It's all you son of the, you're this person's son, you're that person's son. Everyone he's mad at, it seems like he doesn't, doesn't say their names. What is it, my king? Ahimelech asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day? Again, he's not trying to kill Saul. We all know that. He's, Saul is very paranoid and envious and he's arrogant and he just can't get out of himself. In verse 14, But sir, Ahimelech replied, Is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why, he is the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. 
You will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Saul's men have more respect and dignity for Yahweh, for God, more fear of God than Saul himself does. And Saul didn't care what Ahimelech told him. It's like he has an antichrist spirit and he is against every single thing that is for God. He is against at this point. He has driven himself into a point of being just fully against anything that is of God. In verse 18, then the king said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day, 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priests, and killed the priests' families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Only Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David. So God let one escape. God made sure one escaped. One escaped so that God's plan could be carried on. And the Edomite, the Edomite that does this killing, he he's a foreigner that is serving on Saul's army. And he is having this person do his work for him because his servants won't do anything that comes against God. They have that fear of God in them. But this he gets this other man to do it. In verse 21, when he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. Now I have caused the death of all your fam father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life for the same person wants to kill both of us. So David takes responsibility. That is something that Saul never did. He never took responsibility for anything that happened under his rule or his actions himself. And Saul continues to pursue David, but David is always one step ahead. And David shows grace to Saul, but it doesn't sway him whatsoever. He's not after Saul's death. He He's He's following God faithfully and God's working a plan. God's getting David right into the right position at the perfect time. A new wine stick skin is coming. A new, a new thing is about to happen. And this is part of David's journey. And it's waiting for the right time to embrace his kingship and take the throne. Just like Jesus is waiting for the exact right time. And he doesn't know the time. God knows the time. We don't know the time. Jesus doesn't know the time, but the Father knows the time when Jesus will return and he will take his rightful place on the throne and rule and we will be with Jesus for all eternity and the devil will be destroyed. It will it will be conquered. It will be over. And in Psalm 142, chapter 22 the, when David was at the cave, he writes Psalm 142. So you can read that Psalm and see how he pours out his favor and thanks and, and love for God as God continues to lead him and guide him and protect him and is with him in every single step of this journey. This is David's journey led by God. And he's listening and heeding the voice of God in the direction of God, who is speaking into David's life as well on this journey. So that concludes chapter 21 and 22, and we'll continue on tomorrow. Thanks, y'all. I hope you're having a great day.